we have covered so far uh, in Christianity and liberalism in the first five chapters we have covered um, we, we went through the introduction kind of the broad view of what we, we will be covering then we got into doctrine right how doctrine is the foundation of Christianity not practice practice is the fruit of Christianity it's not it's not the foundation it's doctrine is the foundation of Christianity then we covered the differences between Christianity and liberalism when it comes to God and man okay the doctrines of God and the doctrine of man how liberals view the Bible and also with regard to the person and work of Jesus Christ whom the Bible is all about right so God and man the Bible Christ was the last chapter and now we have come to salvation and we can only imagine if they have a different view of God and man if they have a different view of the Bible and if they have a different view of Jesus Christ then obviously they will have a different view of salvation so we can summarize this entire lesson in this liberalism finds salvation in man while Christianity find salvation in an act of God. If you don't know, if you haven't read Galatians, this is a preview to the sermons that will come to you starting next week from Galatians. And just think of what we're celebrating this week. We are celebrating the coming of the Son of God, right? Which is an act of God. Remember what Jesus said of his coming. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Man didn't make Jesus come to earth. It was all by God's sovereign free will to send his Son to us. It was all an act of God. It was not an act of man. So salvation cannot be an act of man. Right? Uh, according uh, to Christianity, the basis of our salvation is the redeeming work of Christ. So we're starting off, the, this is the first point here. First point, the basis of our salvation. The basis of our salvation is the redeeming work of Christ. Not what he said, nor what he taught, though those are important. And not even what he was, though that is of utmost importance. But the basis of our salvation is what that person, who he was, and what he did in his life, death, and resurrection. When you read the gospel narratives in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all culminate in the death and resurrection of Christ. The gospel narratives are different in their uh, points of view, but one major event that they have in common is that they all point to this one act of Christ dying on the cross and being raised on the third day. The cross is the center of the gospel, all the gospels. Jesus is our savior, not because he inspired us to live the same kind of life that he lived, but because he took upon himself the guilt and curse of sin on the cross for us. The cross has been ridiculed by many 
as cosmic child abuse. And in many churches today, in liberal churches, they reject the idea that the atonement was needed. But this is not the biblical witness. Sacrifices, as we heard earlier, have been offered for sin since Genesis chapter 3. And they all point forward to the once-for-all sacrifice for sin on the cross. According to Machen, this is a simple doctrine that even a child can understand it. And I quote, he says this, We deserved eternal death. But the Lord Jesus, because he loved us, died instead of us on the cross. That is not difficult to understand. What is difficult to understand to Machen are the many efforts to get rid of this doctrine in the interests of human pride. They want to get rid of this doctrine and replace it with human effort and human good works. Uh, Knowing Machen's context, uh, the reason they would want to get rid of the cross and replace it with human good works would be because they want to have that grip on the culture. They want to influence the culture. And in order to influence the culture, you've got to influence man, right? You have to cater to the natural man. And to cater to the natural man, you would have to get rid of sacrifice for sins. You have to get rid of the idea that man is sinful and deserves death and hell And you have to get rid of that that idea that someone perfect died in your place, right? And it really and always has been about power, human power, right? They want control, and to have control over humans, you have to cater to to some degree to human pride. The basis of our salvation, which is the cross, is contrary to what the liberal Christian believes, Here, Machen says that many in the liberal church at that time used the term atonement very seldom, and today it has pretty much disappeared in liberal churches. And Jesus' death was boiled down to just an example of self-sacrifice for us to follow and emulate. Uh, Christ was like a revolutionary to them. I'm sure we've all heard this uh, before. Uh, there was the hippie Jesus and, uh, of the 60s and uh, then the revolutionary Jesus, uh, which probably coincided uh, with the hippie Jesus. Uh, I watched a ridiculous video recently that tried to argue that Jesus and the disciples were like a gang. And they were just trying to survive under Roman occupation. Right? Jesus was just their leader in their struggle against the system and against the man, right? Uh, So Rome, I know it sounds ridiculous. Uh, So Rome represented the current Western system. And Jesus and the 12 disciples were like a street gang. So what we can learn from it is that we need to have close and loyal friends to have your back when you're fighting against the system, even when you're doing illegal activity. That was the point of of this video. I I couldn't believe my ears. Many, but believe it or not, many street gangs today, and maybe even in not so street gangs, kind of the more organized crime, 
interpret Jesus as this gang leader who sacrifices himself for the crew. Uh, Many of you who grew up in the church are probably thinking to yourself, this sounds ridiculous. And it does, but I've been around this sort of thing. Uh, I've heard this interpretation by many people out there, especially in urban areas. Many people believe and view Jesus' relationship to his disciples as this gang leader or some influential role model or a community activist or of some sort. Your equivalent in this area is probably um, the leader of the Lions Club or uh, the Freemason Hall. I don't know if there is one around here. Um, Jesus was just a leader teaching his disciples to do good works in the community. And to them, the major theme we can learn from Jesus and his relationship to his disciples is that we become role models too, or some form of community worker, which unfortunately in urban areas eventually devolves into some kind of street gang. I don't know if you know this, but all street gangs started off as community services of some sort led by influential and charismatic leaders. I don't know if you knew that or not. You can trace it all back to community service, something good. But this interpretation of the role of Jesus as just an example of leadership would be to ignore some key teachings from Jesus himself. We know that most gangs and other forms of liberal Christianity are involved or promote rebellion of some sort against the so-called system in place. They teach to turn a blind eye to illegal activity, to stay loyal to your friends or your group of constituents uh, for whatever agenda you're trying to accomplish. So they teach loyalty to your people even in the face of immorality. Okay? But Jesus never taught rebellion to his disciples. Neither rebellion against God's law nor against Man's laws, if you read carefully. He told them they are to pay taxes to Caesar. Now this upset the Pharisees and the local street gang called the Zealots. He rebuked his disciples for their sin, which would upset the average gang member or even the average community service activist today. And on various occasions, the disciples confessed That Jesus is the Son of God. That He is God. And that He is the Christ. The Lord. And they worshipped Him. So do not compare Jesus to some community activist. uh, Limiting His teaching to just some good works. He is the Lord. And He is our only Savior. He was not their equal. Nor was He just a mere human example. Okay. So we can conclude that the basis of the liberals' view of salvation, if they even believe that anyone needs to be saved, is human self-sacrifice and that Jesus was just an example of that, nothing more. He wasn't a sacrifice unto God for our sins. That's what we believe. Okay. We believe that Jesus wasn't a sacrifice just for us. He was a sacrifice Unto God for our sin. Liberals don't believe that. They believe he was just an example. 
So liberal uh, Christianity believes in a gospel of good works. It's all about self-sacrifice. And this is why they believe you can build a Christian society, uh, a utopia or heaven on earth based on self-sacrifice. Now, in principle, self-sacrifice is a good thing for society and it can be God-honoring. Whether you sacrifice yourself for your family, for your nation, or for your local community. But our self-sacrifice is nowhere near the same level as the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for our sins. Nowhere near that. Okay? My love for my children, an example, pales in comparison to God's love for his children. All it is, is it's a fruit of God's love. But my love for my children, I cannot compare how much my, my love cannot compare to God's love for my children. Nowhere near it. Nowhere near it. Whatever I sacrifice for my children pales in comparison to what God the Father has done for his children by sending his beloved son to die on a cross for us. So please, let us beware of comparing anyone's self-sacrifice to Christ's sacrifice on the cross for our sins. They are not on the same level. And they are not the same in essence. They're not the same qualitatively. We can't save ourselves from God's wrath by sacrificing ourselves. Okay? Self-sacrifice does not make someone a Christian. Only believing in the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ on the cross is what makes someone a Christian. So contrary to popular belief, Christ's sacrifice on the cross wasn't just an example of self-sacrifice, but it was also a demonstration of God's hatred for sin. Sin that brought the Holy One to the dreadful cross. And so what we can learn from the cross is that we too are to hate sin. As God hates sin. And we are to repent of sin. But also the cross of Christ is a display of God's love for us. As he gave up his only son for us. So we would be wrong to ignore the dreadful reality of guilt and make salvation all about human good will and good works. Now, was Christ's sacrifice an example of self-sacrifice for the Christian? Yes. But also, it was a display of God's hatred of sin and his love for us. And all these truths are found in the Bible. But there was one thing missing in all of this. And it is, what he said earlier is most important, is that Christ died instead of us on the cross. He died in our place and took on God's wrath to present us faultless before the throne of God, to present us blameless, to present us spotless before the throne. Without this truth, all these other truths are lost and mean nothing to us. The example of self-sacrifice is useless to someone who is guilty of sin and under God's judgment. 
the knowledge of God's hatred of sin would only lead us to despair. The knowledge of God's love is a mere display to someone who doesn't know the reason for the sacrifice. And the reason is that Christ took our place and took on the wrath of God for us. That is the purpose of the cross, and that forms the basis of our salvation. So in our second point, the second main point, is we're going to review some of uh, the liberals' criticisms and Machen's responses. Because for the liberal, the words vicarious atonement, vicarious meaning uh, acting or doing something for another, and atonement means reparation for wrongs done or for sin. So the words vicarious atonement, atonement, reparation for someone else, means something totally different to them, if it means anything at all. They criticize and deride the use of these terms and vilify Christianity for suggesting that the cross of Christ was a good thing for the Christian. They do not like that. Something so precious and holy for us is disgusting for the liberal. And they criticize the cross and the atonement in a few ways. First, they criticize the Christian way of salvation through the cross of Christ because it is dependent on history. Uh, See, it is easy for the Christian to isolate what Christ does to our present personal experience. Uh, We have the tendency to only care for what he is doing for Christians now rather than what he did so long ago in Palestine, right? But to divorce Christianity from the history of redemption would be to abandon the Christian faith altogether. If we isolate Christianity to the here and now, there would be no gospel at all. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the account of an event. It is the proclamation of, of good news that Jesus Christ came 2,000 plus years ago. He lived, he died, and he rose again three days later for our salvation here and now. Christianity, without this event in history, would reduce Christianity down to mysticism, which focuses on present personal spiritual experiences, which is not Christianity at all. True Christianity connects connects the Christian experience today with the actual historical event, the actual historical appearance of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. There was an actual point in time when Jesus died for our sins, which means that, yes, Christianity is dependent on history. Uh, They would object by asking if we are relying on something that happened so long ago for the good of our souls. Then do we just wait around as the historians duke it out on whether or not it actually happened? Wouldn't it be better if salvation was based on what we see, feel, and experience here and now? 
But the answer to this would be that salvation is based on a historical event of the gospel, which is the Greek word for good news, good tidings, good information about something that has happened. There is no good news if this thing never happened. Without this declaration. So first and foremost, the gospel is historical, just like the daily news we watch on TV uh, that have passed us. That news that we watch on TV is eventually recorded in history. Right? It is something new that happened that will change the situation of mankind as mankind was desperate because of sin. But God changed the situation by the atoning death of Christ. That, that is not just a reflection of something old, but, a, but an account of something new. And it could be new for someone who walks in through those doors, who hear it for the first time. Though it happened so long ago, it's new for them. And they can be saved by the preaching of it. Unfortunately, this preaching of the gospel in the liberal church has turned to preaching a message about positive thinking or looking on the bright side of things and making the best of your situation in life. That's pretty much what the gospel is to the liberal church today. But unfortunately, looking on the bright side of things does not change the facts such as being dead in sin, such as being under the judgment of God, and that you cannot remove sin by positive thinking. It can only be removed by the atoning death of Christ. And this past historical event of the cross of Christ is confirmed in the present as it affects the individual who believes it to be true. This is the true Christian religious experience. We believe in a historical event and that event transforms us today. Our, our religious experience does not replace the historical event, but our religious experience is founded in the historical event of Christ and the cross. And we need the word of the cross of Christ every day for the Christian life as we grow. The word of the cross does not just terminate after we become Christians. We need that word every day. Secondly, they criticize the Christian way of salvation through the cross of Christ because it is narrow. Because it is narrow. Salvation is found in the name of Jesus alone. And because there are many people who have not heard of Jesus in the world, they say, we need a message of salvation that will save all men everywhere, whether they heard of Jesus or not. So they turn the message to a message of good works, right? Right living, or the way people are raised. They reduce the message of the gospel down to culture, okay? That people will be saved based on the cultural similarities between Christianity and, say, Islamic countries or Jewish countries, so on and so forth. So pretty much their message is that you're going to be saved by your good works, the good works that have been revealed to you so far. 
We see similarities between all religions and all cultures. So according to the liberal, this is where we find salvation. In the similarities, not in the difference that Jesus makes. As I've said before, if you want a simple explanation about the difference between orthodox Christianity, true Christianity, and all other religions, it is about answering the question, who do you say Jesus is? Ask the question. For anyone who opposes that Jesus is the only way of salvation, ask them, well, who do you say Jesus is? And you'll get the answer. You'll get the answer about the difference between us and other religions. Because all these other religions have teachings about forgiveness. Uh, I had a, a Muslim friend years ago who told me, oh yeah, we, we, all the teachings of Jesus we take, we, we affirm. Except the teaching that he is the son of God. That he is divine. But there you go. There's the difference. There's the difference in this. It's the most important difference. And it's the difference that divides all religions. And you can ask a follow-up question. Not only who is Jesus, but how is one saved? How is one saved? For the Christian, Jesus is both Lord and Savior. And we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But because there are similarities between other religions, the liberal falsely concludes that there are other ways of salvation besides accepting and receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ. They say contrary to Jesus' own words that there are other ways to be saved rather than the one way to be saved through believing in Jesus. But this flies in the face of the Christian message since its beginning. Since the beginning, the Christian message has been exclusive. I quote Machen here. What struck the early observers of Christianity Christianity most forcibly was not merely that salvation was offered by means of the Christian gospel, but that all other means were resolutely rejected. This is what makes Christianity unpopular. Uh, This is why Christianity is not really a good tool for cultural influence or community or social or political activism. Because all of these activities requires a plurality of beliefs and you are telling everyone that there is only one belief that is legitimate. The true Christian missionaries throughout history have required an exclusive devotion to Christ. And it went against the syncretism of the day. Uh, Syncretism is the blending of different aspects of different religions, picking the best of each and just putting them all together. There were many religions offering up many saviors just like today. And you didn't have to necessarily give up one to accept another. All these gods can live together in perfect harmony, right? This was Rome back in the old days. And this defines many Christians, so-called Christians today. But Christianity requires an absolute devotion to one God and one Savior. It was only through Christ 
that a man can be saved and worship the one true and living God. The important word there is only through Christ. Without the word only, Machen writes, there would have been no persecutions. Right? There would have been no rejection of Christianity. Jesus would have a place among the cultured men of the day. Christianity would have been inoffensive. And it is so the same with syncretism that we find in liberalism today. This message is entirely inoffensive because it leaves out the word only. When we give the message of salvation to others, we need to emphasize that it is only through Jesus can one be saved. If we leave out the word only, we're leaving room for any other way, right? And we're we're leaving out the offense of the cross. The offense of the cross is not so much that Christ died for our sins, but it was the only way that we can be saved is through the cross of Christ. In liberalism, the offense of the cross of Christ is removed and done away with, and so is the glory and the power of the cross. That's why most liberal messages today have no power. They have no power to change anyone or anything. The cross of Christ is the only hope for any true transformative change that comes from God. It doesn't come from our own know-how. It doesn't come from pragmatism. It doesn't come from, you know, a list of do's and don'ts this week. We know the law does not have the power to save. The law cannot give life. The law only kills, right? Only the Spirit of God through the preaching of the gospel of the cross can there be life. Now, to answer the problem that many people ask, is everyone going to hear the gospel? Right? What about people in the Amazon or people secluded on an island somewhere where no one ever visited? I I have no idea. I have no idea who's going to hear it and who's not. That's just speculation. And we will rack our brains trying to understand that the answer to that question. We will not know. What we do know is that the Lord has saved people of all walks of life, of every race, rich and poor, with various levels of education, right? And he has given the church ample means by his spirit to bring the name of Jesus to all. If salvation is not offered at all, it is not the fault of the way of salvation, right? It's not God's fault, but those who have been left with the means in their hands. But they'll ask, is this too high of a responsibility to be placed on man? Shouldn't God just offer another way of salvation without accepting the gospel of Jesus Christ? But this is not much different than the responsibility that a parent gives a child. God has placed the responsibility of spreading the gospel to his church, specifically the ministers of the gospel. And it is from the mouth of Jesus himself in the Great Commission. So we we shouldn't speculate. Let's let's leave speculation aside. What does the Bible say? We come to that final question. What does the Bible say is the means of salvation? 
Thirdly, they criticize the way of salvation through the cross of Christ because they ask, how can one person suffer for the sins of another? And I'm going to end on this point. So this will be our final point today. How can one person suffer for the sins of another? To answer this objection, Machen tells us of how Christ's self-sacrifice can be an example for someone else's self-sacrifice when someone suffers for another. Think of how soldiers at war who die freely for the welfare of others. So we have this example in nature. People do it all the time. They, they can die for others. Although this is an example of how Christ's self-sacrifice is an example to others, but it only speaks to one point while missing a very specific It is not the true answer to the objection. The the self-sacrifice of a soldier is entirely different in quality from what Christ accomplished on the cross. Because the self-sacrifice of a soldier cannot wipe away the guilt of sin from another. Okay? It's temporal. It's temporal. It's for this life only, not eternal. I believe here Machen has World War I in mind. Uh, remember going in, he, he opposed it at first, and later he, he said, yes, America should have, should have entered this war, and it's a good thing we did. But remember how he opposed Woodrow Wilson. Woodrow Wilson was a liberal when it came to the Bible. Uh, and Woodrow Wilson vowed to Christianize the world through force and military strength. After he asks, why have people abandoned their trust in Christ? He asks this question, and I quote, why is it that they prefer to trust to millions of acts of self-sacrifice wrought by millions of men all through the centuries and in our own day? The answer is plain. It is because men have lost sight of the majesty of Jesus' person. The answer to this objection that one person cannot suffer for the sins of another, it's not so much found in the example of self-sacrifice, the the similarity between the soldier's sacrifice and Christ's sacrifice, but it is found in the person of Christ. The problem with this objection is that they have made Christ's sacrifice and who Christ is to be like any other man. That he was just like every other man who sacrifices himself for others. No, he is not. He is not like any other man. So his sacrifice has become simply an example of self-sacrifice while ignoring his person, who he was. In doing so, they think that every man is good enough to pay the price for sin. There are people who believe that, you know, in the end of life, say this person wasn't a Christian, but he dies through self-sacrifice. At that moment, he became a Christian. said, no, that is not how you become a Christian. You become a Christian by believing in the once for all Sacrifice in Christ. 
Now, we would argue and agree with the objection if it is worded this way. No mere man can pay the penalty of another man's sin. But Jesus is no ordinary man. He is the eternal Son of God. He has done what no one else could do. He has borne our sin. The doctrine of the atonement is rooted in the Christian doctrine of the deity of Christ. It depends on his person. Hear the words of the great hymn, one of Machen's favorite hymns. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but lost and pour contempt on all my pride. The man who died on the cross was not, no mere man but the Prince of Glory. Machen says that when we come to see it this way, then we shall be willing to say that the one drop of the precious blood of Jesus is of more value for our salvation and for the hope of society than all the rivers of blood that have flowed upon the battlefields in history. One drop is of more value to one's salvation and the hope of society. He is not talking about cultural change here. He is talking about humanity in general. The best thing for anyone to know is that Jesus died for them on the cross. That is more precious than anyone else dying for them. Also, to answer this objection, we can refer to their appeal to Christian experience. Liberals are big into experience, but their experience is divorced from the historical event of the Prince of Glory dying on the cross. So what happens to Christian experience? What will it be based on? Where is their source of peace if it is not the cross of Christ? For the liberal, their peace is found in their striving to be right with God. It is found in their striving to keep the law before they can be saved. Uh, This is why liberal churches do good works at the expense of sound doctrine. Because they believe that is what saves them. It is all about man. The liberal doctrine of salvation is man-centered. And so is the false teachings of liberalism, uh, uh, legalism and antinomianism, right? They're all connected. Liberalism is connected to both legalism and antinomianism. They are siblings. They are all about man and what man can do And they both ignore what God can do. They ignore God. But Machen argues the peace that the Christian experience only comes when a man recognizes that all his striving to be right with God, all his feverish endeavor to keep the law before he can be saved is unnecessary. And that the Lord Jesus has wiped out the handwriting that was against him by dying instead of him on the cross. Only the cross and the knowledge of the doctrine of the vicarious atonement of Christ can bring such peace and joy. I'm going to end there and we'll pick up next time on the fourth criticism.
Uh, is there any questions or any thoughts that come to mind you would like to add to this, uh, this week's lesson? Any questions? Mm-hmm. Antinomianism. Yeah. So that is uh, nomos is the Greek word for law. So it's anti-law. So um, where legalism is um, pro-law, but uh, legalism is believing that you can be saved by your obedience. Mm-hmm. Antinomianism says, you know, once you're saved, you don't need the law. The, you know, the law is nothing to us. <coughs> Um, we don't need to obey at all. So, yeah, yeah, it's um, Romans six, verse one addresses that issue because. Uh, well, I heard the issue. I just hadn't heard the word. Antinomianism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Romans six. Uh, you know, a lot of people thought Paul was saying, "Oh, you know, we can live however way we want now that we're saved. Uh, we can sin to our hearts' delight and be fine." Uh, Machen says, "No, may it never be." Right. Because it's centered around Christ. It's centered around God. That's what the gospel is about. Right? It's not centered around man and what man can do. 